are live. Yes. <laughs> Celebratory shakes. Um, and what's up, Greg? Our guest, uh, our guest today for everybody listening is Greg Kelly. Um, you guys will uh, most certainly hear his name and probably get to know him and, and fall in love with him too over the next uh, bunch of weeks. But if this is your first exposure, we'll talk a little bit about what uh, what's going on. But yeah, man, thank you for joining. Um, we really appreciate it. Thanks for hopping on in such short notice too. Yeah, you're welcome. It's my pleasure, guys. Um, you know, be I wouldn't be I wouldn't like to be anywhere else but with you guys right now, talking. You guys getting to know me and me getting to know you. And so, uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, so, I it's interesting as as I mentioned to you and as Justin mentioned to you. You know, if people want to learn about your story, they can watch Outcry. They can go on Showtime and they can see that. And I don't know if that's obviously that, that we'll touch on aspects of that, but that's not necessarily what we want to dig into today, or at least, you know, that wasn't my thought as I mentioned to you before. So, um, first off, I got to say my wife and I are super stoked to get our Tomahawk target cornhole set. (laughs) Uh, I I didn't tell these guys, but, but, uh, so I surprised Natalie with, um, a a cornhole set and it's going to have the dog's faces on it, like the outline of the faces, like one on each one. Um, no rush, whatever it's ready. I know you're slammed with it, so it's all good, but we'll, we could talk about the business later. You should definitely plug that and talk about it for sure. But, um, obviously look, man, I, I was, I was really moved by outcry. As I mentioned to you, I mean, what an amazing story and arduous experience that, that you went through. Um, obviously wasn't easy, but we're here today and you came through miraculously and strong on the other end. Um, and that's what I want to kind of talk about today. It's like the things that stood out to me most when I watched, um, aside from the story itself was how you handled everything, you know, seemingly with grace and fortitude. Um, I'm sure there were many impossible moments as I'm, you know, watching and, and, and empathizing and putting myself in those shoes, you know, the challenges had to be serious. But from what I saw, your mindset, your work ethic, the positive attitude, the commitment to the truth, the focus, you know, your smile, none of that seemed to waver. And it was like watching a superhuman, um, which is interesting because uh, obviously you're a beast as an athlete. And Justin, you know, randomly when I told him I was watching the, the show, he was like, oh, yeah, I know, Greg, like we were at the at the um, on a combine together. And yeah, the dude is a, a, a maniac. I'll let him kind of talk about that. But it's clear you take care of yourself. You're committed um, to, to your goals. You're committed as a husband. You really hit the ground running with the new business, with your foundation, with football, with school you know, building a life for yourself that, that really is promising and has a lot of runway in front of it. And, and those are the things I want to discuss where your work ethic comes from, you know, whether that was formed as a kid, um, you know, whether you grew up with just people around you, brothers and, and parents that had a positive outlook that really instilled that, where that optimism comes from, what values help push you through, like the literal specifics of even your health. You know, one of the things that, on this podcast that we've been really digging into since the pandemic has been daily routines and regimens, what people do. Um, I imagine that, you know, your lifestyle hasn't really changed that much because you've been really focused on health 
and fitness and eating right. So those are things that we'd love to talk about. Um, and just kind of, you know, even more simply what your focus is now, what you're working on and kind of what the next few years look like. So I know that's a lot. Uh, and I know I'm, I'm painting you up to be this, uh, this amazing dude without ever actually meeting you, but, which um, he is, which he is. <laughs> but all, I think it's truthful things. Yeah. All truthful yeah. things. I think it shines through, man. So look, hopefully that's not all, all overwhelming stuff, but you know, anything in that realm is what we want to talk about today because I think what we can extrapolate from it for our listeners can be very useful. Even we always say if there's one nugget of information that they can take away from this to apply to their lives, then it's a successful conversation and that's the goal. So I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll leave you with that, but yeah. Any, any thoughts go from there? Anybody else, Justin, Jordan, feel free. Yeah. I mean, I can talk about the, uh, Look, when, when Greg and I met, it was uh, just, you know, serendipitous. I, um, uh, I was in an internship to be a dietitian, and they, they gave me uh, a little bit of free time to do what I want. And, uh, and I was like, well, don't tempt me with a good time. So I, I got on the phone. That might not be a thing that, that most people are used to anymore. I didn't send an email. Uh, I hopped on the phone, and, and I called two places. I called the UFC that was opening a new performance institute in Vegas, and, uh, and I called on it. And I ended up hopping on with the dietitian uh, Shannon, who's awesome at on it. And, uh, we spoke for about 20 minutes. We laughed that that should have been a, a podcast. And, um, she was like, yeah, if you want to come down here and spend some time working with us, that'd be awesome. And, uh, the, the time that I spent there, which I think was last January, it, um, it was really interesting. We had, we had professional athletes there. And then we also had, uh, these collegiate athletes that were, um, hoping to go to the NFL combine and, uh, and then in, in the mix of that was Greg. And, and when, when I looked at this, this group that I, I was working with and, and hanging out with and, and watching them train uh, and go through the kind of daily tasks that were set for them from all the different coaches, there was just something about you, Greg. There was, there was, it, it was like, you know, uncommon amongst these like uncommon men. It was just, just one little notch above all these people. Was, and, and I was trying to figure out, is it like, was it the work that he put in prior to this? Is it the consistent work that he's always done? You know, and then learning more about you as a person, uh, you as a trainer, the work that you had talked about putting into getting certain lifts up, you know, trying to get hit certain PRs and, and uh, how your diet was. And I think if I remember correctly, I think maybe um, your family, maybe mom was helping, you know, like making meals and all this stuff. And it was like, man, this is like firing on all levels. It was so impressive. Uh, and it was just I knew there was this, this something interesting, and I was like, I want to, I want to, you know, follow the story of this guy Greg because he's just on a different level. And man, it was inspiring. So that was, uh, yeah, what a uh, fortunate, fortunate place to be. And I'm really fortunate and glad that we met in that time. Appreciate that, Justin. It means a lot, man. Um, if I could just, you know, go off of that, um, both Matt and Justin. Thank you guys for those kind words. It was. It's awesome to hear that. Um, I definitely don't deserve that cape. Um, you know, I just, I'm a guy who just made a decision to stay strong. You know, it was, um, I guess, at a, at a really young age, I'll just kind of go back with my childhood. I grew up, you know, with, with brothers, uh, athletic brothers, four of them. I grew up with a mother who ran track um, in Guatemala. She grew up in Guatemala. Uh, she was a, um, a track runner. She was for like, for the, um, the all country team for Guatemala. And she, she was very successful in that. And my dad was a baseball player. He coached at Iowa. 
um, right after college. And, uh, and then he went to go do some international recruiting. Um, so I, I kind of grew up with a family of athletes. So I think the only um, form of adversity that I've ever c- come into was the form of athletic adversity. So, But at the same time, <clears throat> being 18 years old, getting falsely accused of this crime I didn't commit, and then having to go through the adversity that, 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 that follows – um, especially, you know, in the news media, I was only being painted as a as an athlete who had opportunities to go play college and and you know Friday Night Lights and this and that. But then the very next week, I started getting painted as a monster. And now one can ask oneself that like, how do you even go about handling that? You know, because you've never received that much of you've never received that much hatred in one time, and so. And it was it was so bad because I sat there and I was just I would just sit there crying to my mom and, and my girlfriend like I have no idea why this is happening to me, and I think sometimes we we kind of go out we go through this world not understanding why things are happening you know, and so going through all of that was absolutely cha- challenging and kind of with you Justin um, you know when you saw me at on it I was in a position where all these guys were striving to get an NFL contract, right? They're, they're striving to get out of their, their, the projects maybe that they're in, or they're striving to leave their hometown in order to go and take their family with them. Right. That was what their, their motivational uh, fuel was. My motivational fuel was to get a scholarship. So Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a totally different lens that I'm looking at. Um, and I think I think the work ethic that you saw, I've I've always told myself in the morning if I if I'm gonna go and train with some NFL guys, I'm gonna be the hardest worker in the room because I might not be as talented as these guys, I might not have the experience because unfortunately I had to go and 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 go to prison for for three years of my life and had to adjust to survive there. Um, these guys are adjusting to survive on the field, right? So they're building talents and skills to uh, survive on the field, I had to build talents and skills to adapt to prison as an innocent man. So kind of going into this, I only knew hard work from one angle, which was the internal battles that I had to face while I was in prison and having to bust through those barriers and jump those hurdles to make it back to my family. And that's, that's where we, uh, that's where, 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 you know, I was left off at on it is where I only know one angle of hard work and I'm going to do it, which is, fight these internal battles the whole time. So that's where you saw that work ethic. Greg, I, I've heard the, the phrase, you know, being the hardest worker in the room uh, quite often. Uh, I've spent a few years working in the industry of pro wrestling where you have really competitive uh, world-class athletes uh, that oftentimes don't get uh, a promotion, if you will, within their business based on just pure athletic performance alone. Um, so, what comes to mind for me is defining what does it mean to be the hardest worker in the room. So I'm curious for you, um, can you give us some concrete examples of how you were able to uh, determine whether you were outworking everyone else, whether it was pure athletic performance or maybe it was more uh, people skills, like networking with the right people? I'm just curious, what, uh, how did you define being the hardest worker? So to me, being defined as the hardest worker, I did a I did a study in psychology about the um, the meaning of grind, right? The grind, 
And the grind means that you're 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 a specific person, a person, right? It could be anybody, actually. But you have a goal and you have an end goal, and there's going to be no distractions until you get to that goal, right? If if things are going bad, if things are going good, right, and new distractions start to come into your your vocal point and your lens, it doesn't matter. Your 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 goal and that's that's your that's your end point. So, to me, it was all about the grind. It was about you might not be the most skilled person in the room, right? You might not have God-gifted abilities to jump high and run fast. But I think the hardest worker in the room is taking on that Rudy's mindset, right? Where nothing is going to stop me from my goal. It doesn't matter if I, if, if, you know, I wake up and I'm tired, I don't want to get out of bed. Nothing is going to stop me from my goal. And when I get there, I'm going to, one, get there early. I'm going to start warming up. I'm not going to start talking about things I'm not supposed to be talking about in the gym. I'm supposed to be, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not going to be wavering from that goal and I'm going to get in, I'm going to get my work in. And after my workout, that's when I can socialize after my workout. That's when I can, I can go and, and do whatever I need to do. Right. Check my phone, whatever. So those are little things that I had to tell myself, like these guys are phenomenal athletes. These guys are crazy, crazy athletic. They're in the NFL for a reason. They're going to the NFL and getting looked at to go to the NFL for a reason. Um, and I'm just some guy, you know, I'm a nobody coming in who has big dreams. Um, I always like to say when I was training with Earl and Kenny and, uh, and Alex Okafer that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little fish in a big pond, you know, and, and what I mean by that is there's a bunch, a bunch of big fish in this big pond. Um, and I'm just a little guy, you know, uh, but you let that little fish stay in that pond for a little while and get beat up for a little while, he's going to become big too. So that's kind of where, that's where I was kind of <clears throat> looking at is I, I would always tell myself right when I pulled up to on it, I'd look at myself in the mirror and I actually did this every day. Um, I looked at myself in the mirror and I told myself, nobody's going to outwork you today. And I think just, just setting that tone, you know, telling yourself, affirming yourself, that self-talk will make the difference. Uh, because you're not going to accept anything other. Did you, was, was self-talk something that you always did even prior to any of the, the troubles you went through, you know, as a, as a high school athlete, as a, even before that as an athlete, was that something that like you, you embraced at that point too, or was that something that developed based on some of the struggle, you know? Absolutely. Definitely during the struggle. I did not. I did not um, bring in self-talk in my life. Like I said, I was a kid and uh, trying to tell a kid to, to self-talk is they're going to think that you're, you're trying to talk to yourself like in a, in a psychotic way. So yeah. um, I didn't, I had to mature a little bit to understand what that actually meant is, is um, giving yourself positive affirmations that you, you know, you are valuable. You, you can go and do this. There's nothing that's going to be in your way. Um, go out there and get it type of self-talk. I learned that in the struggle. I learned that and, something I like to call the, the fiery affliction of furnace. Right. And it's, and that's, and, like, and, and, I, and a lot of times when I talk, I, I talk from a, um, from a faithful, uh, like stance because, um, you know, me and my family we're we believe in God and we believe that everything happens for a reason. And, and I think also the faith part of everything, uh, believing in something bigger than myself, um, going through a really, really tough time was a, another, um, point where I, I was strong. So yeah, it, it all, I learned a whole lot going through a really crappy situation. 
I imagine there, I mean, there's endless lessons that you can now apply and take with you and use them for good, which is fantastic. I want, I'm curious about something because this is, this is something that I, man, when I watched it, when I watched outcry, I felt the anxiety, right? You, You feel it. Um, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast previously. I've been very open about this. Anxiety is something that throughout my life at different points that I've dealt with, um, and how it manifests, you know, for me is like in physical feeling form, you know, you feel it in your gut. You, you sometimes get nervous headaches, your heart races, you, you know, all these things. Um, I'm curious for you as you were going through it. And and of course, you know, whatever you can't say, we totally understand. And I don't want to get into like the specifics of the, of the case or anything like that. But for you, from a physical and mental level, like how did anxiety manifest for you? Like in this situation? And then how did you like mentally, uh, figure out how to remedy the physical feelings, if that makes sense? Cause I imagine that kind of trauma, that kind of experience will, I mean, it physically affects you. Like, did you, puke did you get sick to the stomach like all you know and so like but how did you manage to to get past that and live with the situation um on a daily basis you know yeah that's a great uh, great question i don't get that asked a lot um you know i think i think it's really important you know when outcry was made and just to give a background of what i can talk about with the audience um and the reason why I can't is because there's some things I'm just legally bound through NDAs, sure. um, you know, with Showtime. But the things I can talk about is, you know, uh, when I was 18 years old, I was falsely accused for a terrible crime, uh, a crime um, I like to say is worse than murder because you do get treated worse than a murderer when you get accused of this. Um, and, you know, I had a bunch of football opportunities um, I was a, a kid with big dreams. Um, I, I like to say I was a kid who just wanted to go to school, make good grades, go to go play college football and have a girlfriend. That's literally what I wanted to do. And But um, there was a t- totally different plan for my life where I was falsely accused, wrongfully convicted, and had to go through the biggest nightmare of my entire life, and um, which was a living nightmare. Um, my parents literally would say that to this day, my mom still has to um, deal with the wounds of, of grief, right, uh, from this whole thing because it literally felt like her her son was murdered back in 2014 when when I got sent away um, by the state of Texas. And so, and now you know, came November um, through a whole you know five year battle. Um, I finally got exonerated this past November, uh, proved my innocence. Um, by all nine judges of the CCA. And um, now there's a documentary called Outcry on Showtime that gives you a play-by-play of six years within five hours, five episodes. So it's a, it's a whole lot to take in. And I think that I think when the audience watches Showtime, the documentary, um, they see six years worth of emotion with it compacted in five hours. So you just, your body doesn't know how to register it. I mean, you might get, you start getting anxious because you're like, man, I'm really happy you know, on episode one, or I'm like curious on episode one, and two, I'm just furious. And then three, it's like, I'm really curious now. And then four, I'm like, holy crap, I'm emotional because, you know, I see this guy's grind. And then five, you're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. You know, and, and it kind of, it kind of just starts manifesting. It starts 
kind of condensing all those emotions where you're just left with like, what the freak just happened? Yeah. And, and so that anxiety, I think your body starts, your body starts uh, responding uh, with, with anxiety. You're like, holy crap. And I think a lot of people too, and a lot of people have mess- messaged me and I've received so much beautiful messages and overflow of love into my inbox. Um, but I think the thing that I see over and over again is the question, holy crap, can this happen to me? Right. Because that's what that's what this documentary is left with is, man, we're in a position where our, our government, right, our government entities by law could literally just start pursuing you off of just an accusation, no evidence and send you to prison for the rest of your life. Right. As long as the jury agrees to it. And that's absolutely terrifying to people um, because I, honestly, it could happen to you and happened to me, you know, and so, yeah, the, you know, how I dealt with the anxiety of everything, guys, was. It was extremely anxious, and I, I have a hard time trying to paint a picture because I don't think uh, a lot of people in this world kind of go through um, what I've went through. Yeah, and I know. So I can only, you know, I can only compare with the things probably everybody deals with in the general public, um, which is, you know, think of you're getting torn away from your family for something you absolutely didn't do, and then having to go through the prison process. And not knowing what's going to happen to you labeled um, the most monstrous, monstrous thing you could ever be labeled. And then having to watch your back each and every day, make sure you know where you're going, make sure you, you trust the people that you talk to and hang out with. And you, you better know that you're not going to get on a level where you can talk to somebody like your best friend because nobody in there um, is, is trying to be your best friend, you know. And I've, I've developed some really, I've developed three really good friendships while I was in there. But um, let's just say there was a whole lot of people that were trying to take advantage of you as well. So going through that whole process, you're having to learn a lot really quick, especially as a kid who's so naive to the, to the justice system, who's so naive to the law, who's so naive to very crafty and, you know, uh, criminals' minds where I got put in, hold on, let me turn off, I don't know if you're hearing that ding. Oh, you're good. Um, okay, so I got put in a position where I had to learn a lot really quick, and that right there can produce anxiety that's unbearable, you know? So, uh, and then whenever I think anxiety started really ramping up was when my case got reopened back in the early 2017. Because, you know, from 2014 to 2016, when you start accepting the reality of, holy crap, I'm in a really crappy situation. I just need to now make the best of it, right? And that's what I was trying to do is I was trying to come and make ends meet and was like, man, I'm, I'm fighting. Yeah, I'm appealing this and, and I have really high hopes that I'm going to get home to my family again and, and have my life back. But at the end of the day, too, I've got to be – I have got to find some type of, um, you know um, – normality to this because if i don't and this is going to drive me crazy right so every day i had a routine where i just i got up um, i drank my coffee you know I, I got ready for work i went to go and to the factory and work for um, i worked in a factory while i was in there and work for 10 hours and kind of get my mind off of my reality and then come back do some college studying i was taking college classes as well do some studying um go to church for an hour come back go to sleep, do it all over again. And that was my, that was my routine for three years straight. And so that was started becoming normal. And when, when things like that start to become normal, you just start becoming numb to all the stressors in your life. 
And just like, okay, this is this is where I feel comfortable and at peace. And then my case got reopened in 2017, and um, so many emotions of joy started overflowing into my into my life. But but sometimes when you when you're when you're like overexcited, you start getting anxious. It's like, man, I don't want this to go away because this this high I'm feeling on feeling is so awesome. I just don't want something to happen because I've received injustice before. I don't want somebody to come and squash it. Right. So it's that anxiety to lose that happiness and that joy. Um, as as but as things went on and went on and on slowly, of course. Um, about uh, middle of 2017, I get bench warranted back to Williamson County for an evidence hearing, a, a writ habeas corpus, what they what they like to say in the legal terms, um, where it's a hearing where I can present all the evidence of innocence that we that we um, we condensed over the the three year process of me being incarcerated. I got that granted, so that was just so awesome because now it's my it's my day in court to prove all the evidence that we found. So that's what happened, and we proved it. And then I got uh, I got released August twenty second, two thousand seventeen, from the Williamson County Jail, and that right there was absolutely amazing. I was released on bond. It didn't necessarily mean I was fully cleared, but the evidence that sure. we presented in that that evidence hearing um, was enough to receive me re, um, receive me a, a granted release on bond. Um, and then it was a really long anxious and this is where i'm going to get into the emotions part of being free but you're really not free that's and, and not to cut you off but that was the part almost that even stood out to me more i and i get it like when you accept your situation and you're confined and there's you just kind of have to learn to make the best of it that's almost you know it's I don't want better is the wrong word, but in that moment, it's just better to keep the blinders on. Know that this is what it's going right. to be for a while, and you figure out how to make life work there. But the minute that you, when you did get out on bond, like I put myself in that situation, and it's like you you go to a restaurant or you have an amazing experience with with your girlfriend or at the time, I guess your fiance throughout that period. And, and now your wife, you have a great dinner with family in the back of your mind. There's always this like shit, you know, tomorrow, you know, it's the day that I gotta, I, I gotta go online and I gotta look like, what if this is it? And those what ifs can like, can kill you. So I guess that's where it is really hard. It's like how to stay in the present when you have something pending that, you know, is, 50 50 in that sense and maybe the odds were i imagine the odds were a lot better than that and you know you kind of i'm sure you discussed that and kind of had an idea yeah. of like where you should be focused but still there's a chance right so that's what i think really got to me i i could see myself waking up in the middle of the night you know sweating with bad dreams and just i don't know so i don't want to put words in your mouth but yeah you hit it right on the nail matt i mean that that was exactly the reality of me being released um and and before Justin goes, I, I see him want to chime in. Uh, exactly, man. I mean, you you hit it right on the nail because it was so awesome being released to be rejoined with my family. I mean, it literally felt like I don't know, man. It was like I was physically reborn and put back into the world because, I mean, and don't get me wrong, I was only I was only away for three years, and there was a, there was a lot of falsely convicted people in prison that that were that was away for 25 years and they get thrown into a whole different world i mean imagine that yeah. i wasn't thrown into a whole different world but 
um, in prison, I started growing a, a, uh, a numbness to just my routine, you know, not having a cell phone is big. I mean, like try not having your cell phone for three years, you kind of start, you know, detaching from it and you start going old school and you have to, you know, start Google or Wikipedia or get an encyclopedia to look things up. Right. So when I got back out, kind of adjusting to everything. And then also the, man, I was, I was in a, I was almost in a box man, for three years of my life. So think of, think of, um, your downstairs bathroom, your half bath, it's a five by nine cell for three years and you don't have interaction with anybody. Yeah. And, and that right there is something that you don't know if you can get through until you put, get put in that situation you make psychological and cognitive decisions to keep going. Was it, you know? so w- was it solitary confinement in that sense? Like when you were in your, in your cell? Half of the time, uh, the other half where, um, and like I said, man, it, it, it was on and off due to, um, me having to defend myself. Sure. It was on and off to, um, you know, things were going really good and I got, I was in population and I, I, uh, I was making friends and, and I was just going through the normal prison routine that I could talk about for, for hours. But it was points where, um, if you watch it in the, in the movies, when either somebody has to defend themselves or you go and cause trouble, you're going to go into the hole. Right. And that's, and it doesn't matter if you're the victim in the thing or if you're the aggressor, you're the attacker, you're going to go to the hole. Right. right? So there was times where it was just on and off, you know, and you've had to adjust, um, you know, play by play. And so, um, it, it was a, it was a thing. You don't know what your next day is going to look like. And you don't know if something really dangerous is going to happen within your, your confined area that you're living. Um, and so it was a, it was a day by day type of thing. And when you're living life on the edge like that, um, it's not, it's not comfortable. And so, um, yeah, man, I, when I got out and I got to, I got to sit down with my family and go to the, go to, go to birthday parties, go out to dinner, to Chili's and, and all the things, right. That just, it's just, man, it's just so awesome to hang out with your family and just share the love and break bread together. Right. But at the, at the same time, think of a dark thunderstorm cloud over your head and as, as, as good as things are going and you're just smiling and you're laughing and you're enjoying memories at the same time, there's something in, in, in the forefront of your brain where it's just like, crap, man, I just don't want to be torn away from this again. You know, I, I don't know if I can go through it again. I don't know if I can handle it. Right. And so living, living with that for two years, right. Until I got exonerated, um, was an animal in itself. I'm, I'm really curious, uh, if you can share with us any of the, uh, like actionable things you would do if, if you've got, Look, for any of us, we can all go through anxiety. To Matt's point, Matt talks you know, openly about what he's been dealing with. I think Jordan and I can, can openly talk about anxiety we've dealt with. Of course, it is, it is nowhere near, I'm sure, the same level right, of, of, what, of the stuff that you've experienced, what you've gone through, maybe the anxiety you felt. But for everyone, it's, it's something that, that they may feel, and it, it's very specific and maybe nuanced to themselves. You know, can you, is there anything that you learned along the way when, when the anxiety got really bad, when the, the what if real wouldn't stop? Was there anything really specific that you turned to, uh, that, that seemed to at least take the edge off? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that would be the Bible, you know, that would be where my faith would come in, 
you know, um, and like I said, I, I can only talk about what I know and what, what, what worked for me at the time. And, um, you know, I remember, I remember being in prison and it all started in prison guys is when I, uh, I decided to start looking up in my situation where I just couldn't, I couldn't just look at myself and I couldn't be like, man, how do I get through this? This wasn't working. Right. Because I just, I was long for peace. I longed for peace more than anything. You know, my mind wasn't at peace. My heart wasn't at peace. Um, I felt like that, that hatred and that unforgiveness that was setting root in my heart started playing a part in my, in my family's interactions where I was just acting different because, um, you know, I hated the people that did this to me. And, and, and whenever you, whenever you, you, you carry that burden, it rubs off and you start treating other people's people like you would want to treat them, you know, the people that, that you hate. And so, um, I knew that I had to, I had to, I had to get rid of that. I knew that I had to give it to somebody else. And, you know, sitting there, I decided to just, just start reading the Bible from, you know, from front cover to back cover and got to kind of understand the stories a little bit and kind of, um, just see whatever I can get in a really crappy situation. I think just rereading the words, like, you know, um, you know, God can give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Just rereading those words and, and putting them on your heart um, can give you a sense of peace, can really just allow those those stressors and that anxiety to, to leave, right? Because you're, you're starting to prep your mind to something else. And and um, also, you know, there's, there's this quote in the Bible where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, and it's John 16, 33, where he says, you know, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Um, I've overcome the world. So like just believing that, oh, okay, okay. So like one of the, the greatest, most popular leaders in the whole world is saying, you know what, we're going to have trouble in this world. But you know what? You know, believe me, I've overcome the world, right? So um, understanding that and, and believing in that, man, just started making the difference, you know, and it got me through each and every day. And being able to pray and being able to just kind of have that internal communication with God in that situation let me know that I'm not going through this alone, right? I mean, I can talk to my family the whole time and I can tell them what I'm going through, but of course, you don't want to tell your family what you're going through because you don't want them to start stressing. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to go to the big man and I'm going to let him take all my stuff. And so and that's what I felt like just letting go of that stuff man got me through. Greg, I'm really interested in this uh and it's kind of exciting to me because really faith and religion uh isn't uh something that we've really explored uh I, I don't want to speak for, for Justin and Matt, but uh, I believe the three of us are, are definitely more secular uh, yeah. than someone like you. Um, you know, I, I have a very deep faith. It's just not really tied to a religion per se. Um, so I, I'm curious with you, uh, what role did, did faith and even more specifically Christianity play in your life prior to you really turning to the Bible in, in a time of need? Um, and when when you were in prison and, and, and turning to that, and you, and you mentioned going to church uh, for an hour daily, um, was that really the first time that it clicked in a deeper level of the function of, of faith and, and religion? Yeah, um, good question. I, so prior to this, I grew up with a mom who um, taught me Catholic values and beliefs, and we went, to, um, we went to Catholic Mass all the time. But, of course, you know, I was a kid who just, you know, thought this was something I needed to do for my parents. And this was just a normal routine that we do as a family. So I was that kid who had his Game Boy in mass and just wanted to, you know, play, play on the, play on the Game Boy. And so I just didn't take it seriously. And, and of course, I mean, I'm a kid who, 
is not thinking about where his faith, you know, stands. A kid who is just, you know, am I going to, are we going to have sloppy Joe's tonight type of kid, you know? So I, um, I, 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 I didn't start turning and start getting interested in my faith until I went through the most crappiest situation I probably anybody could ever go through. And I think a lot of times when you read in the Bible, a lot of people, they don't start turning to, to God or they don't start turning to anything that's on a deeper level than, than themselves until um, everything they thought they could do just didn't work anymore. So I think that's what really just started having me look up in this whole situation. What I mean look up is start having my, 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 my vocal point towards God in my, my situation is when I just could not do, I could not get through the crap by myself anymore. Right. I've had to have, I had to fight that internal battle with something that's greater than myself. So yeah, it, I did not start um, turning towards God and believing what he has to say in my life until um, I got put into, into this nightmare. So, <clears throat> I, kind of shifting gears slightly, um, there's kind of two, two big big topics I want to make sure we hit. So, the first one that I was also really curious about, in line with all of this, is, you know, you were obviously a pretty, you, you are a very serious athlete prior to this right. happening. Um, you know, you had a really strict regimen. You were in the gym. You're, you're working hard. You're, you're playing football. I... I can only imagine that like having that discipline and that focus helped also with the time in confinement. So I'm curious, you know, from a, from a mental perspective, if you found that to be helpful kind of once you could grapple with things and get your, your arms around that animal more. Um, but two, you know, physically and even like from a diet standpoint, like, you know, I imagine you were eating a lot cleaner at home, or at least I would guess, or better, I should say, than you were when you were in prison. But, you know, how did you how did you stay fit, you know, in good shape? How did you literally take care of yourself? And without saying the cliche term of prison workouts, you know, I'm curious what you were able to bring with you into that situation from your previous right. training, you know? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, growing up, you know, I lived in the gym, going going into high school and uh, playing football. Um, I decided when I was a freshman in high school to take football very serious. That's something I, I needed to do. Um, my family, we were not financially fortunate to have me just go to college without uh, without a scholarship. Um, so I knew that, okay, I've been put on this earth to be athletic. And, you know, I'm going to use that skill and that talent uh for the for the very best and my best interest and so i'm gonna go get out there and start training and start you know cultivating those skills and i started living in the gym man. i'd wake up at 5 a.m every morning go to golds go get a lift in before football practice go to football practice at seven until like nine and then go to school and then have a football practice afterwards um from like you know five to six at night and then go home and and do my homework, eat dinner, and go to bed. I mean, that was the routine. And so um, I think I've always, from a young age, my parents have who they've taught me up and brought me up to be a man of routine. Because um, if you look at the most successful people in the world, they've got a routine and they stick to it. I mean, they found their niche and they stick to it, and they're going to keep going forward from that. So yeah. going, in, going into prison, 
right? I, I found, I started trying to find a routine from the stuff I learned and was taught before I went. So um, I just saw what, what I could handle on my plate. I was like, okay, I'm gonna put it on my plate and this is what I got. And I started, I actually made a calendar of what I need to do throughout the day. And, um, and I'm, I'm not, and don't get me wrong, I'm not an organized person, but when, when it comes to things that really matter to me, um, I'm gonna make sure that becomes priority. And one, getting back home to my family was something that really mattered to me. Two, getting the truth that, hey, what you're painting me out to be, I'm not that. Um, and bringing forth that truth was really important to me. Um, and then also just staying sane in that nightmare was really important to me and staying fit so I could hit the ground running when I get out was really important to me. So in prison, the diet is crap. It's complete shit. So I, it's, it's nothing but carbs and instant food and, and, you know, you get a hot pot, you can buy a hot pot and buy a fan and a radio and those are your appliances and so everything that they that they um, sell at the commissary, which is like a little walk-up window where you give a little grocery list and they start just throwing you out food, um, they, they it's all instant food. I mean, think of instant beans and instant potatoes and ramen noodles and tuna and mackerel and this pouched food. And, and a lot of it is half of it's just pastries and cookies. So I'm not touching that. And they had like little protein shakes and stuff. So half of my my commissary spend would be protein shakes and the other half would be rice and tuna and, 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 uh, and, you know, that's pretty much, and refried beans. And that's pretty much it. I mean, that's what I lived off of as far as going to the commissary window. But, um, when, when chow time came around and chow time is like meal times with breakfast, lunch, or dinner, but that's what they call it. It's chow time. And so, uh, when chow time came, came around, um, I mean, in prison, don't get me wrong in prison, everything is self-sufficient. So, Think of prison as like units, but they're really farms in the state of Texas because it's just a, such an old prison system that they actually are called farms because it's legit farm. They've got cattle, they've got chickens, they've got uh, vegetables and crops, and there's specific inmates that work in the fields to go and plant and harvest those things and bring it back to the unit and distribute them throughout the whole unit system um, in the state of Texas. So we ate fresh vegetables all the time, boiled vegetables. But um, since it was boiled, you just really didn't really get a lot of the nutrients. Um, it was just a really easy way of cooking it. So they uh, to amass, you know, two or three thousand people. So like I didn't necessarily get the best, but I ate a whole lot of it. So I had a whole lot of fiber, and I and I I just I ate a whole lot. And they, we ate chicken like maybe once a week, and uh, the rest of the stuff was just processed. So it it at the end of the day, I just tried to make the very best of the um, situation when it came to nutrition but for the workout i think i made up for it in the workouts because i would work out for hours a day i didn't care you know what endorphins levels i had or anything like that i mean if i started getting where i was like i don't want to work out anymore i'll just work out harder and i think just breaking those barriers uh, taught me to uh, perseverance uh, whenever whenever things started getting tough yeah, I want to. I want to stick on the same. Yeah, yeah. I want to stick on the same topic. Um, a couple of things. Uh, you had this routine before, where where getting up and, and working out before you'd go to practice uh, was kind of like a staple, right? And then you go to practice and you were doing two a days. It sounds like, um, and then coming home and still doing everything else you had to do. Uh, was that just something that you just continued with? That like there was nothing in here, nothing but you know that was going to stop you from just going and getting the work in. There, there was. Uh, 
you know, no, no matter how tired you may be or how you're feeling, if you're sluggish, if you don't have the energy, whatever it was, you just shut that off. And, and I'm curious if that was something that you did prior to, you just kept it going. And if it's something you're still doing now. And the other thing I want to touch on with nutrition, what was it like when you got out the first time you were able to say, go to like a grocery store or a farmer's market and actually be able to pick the stuff that you're going to now be putting into, to kind of, you know, feeding the temple. What was that like? That man, that right there was one of my greatest memories. And you said farmer's market or grocery store. To me, it was my first day out. I got Rudy's barbecue. And so that right. And and anybody who's not from Austin, um, Rudy's is like, you know, it's one of the the Austin staples of barbecue, you know? Um, So um, right when I got out in August, uh, August 22nd, 2017, I got released out on bond and I immediately went over, I came to the lake house that I'm at right now actually. Um, and I started living here, uh, with a, with a buddy of mine who, who Jake Bryden, I'm sure you guys know who that is from the dock. Um, but he's ultimately the guy that stepped forward and saved my life vocally, um, throughout this whole process. And if you guys ever interview him, he can, he'll talk your head off cause he is the mouth of the South. I mean, that guy right there, I don't know where he pulls different analogies and, but this man was absolutely blessed with the talent to use his mouth. Um, and it could either, you know, be the best for him or it can get him in trouble too. So, um, I, you know, being able to get out and having to, um, sit down and eat real food, um, I cherished every bite, you know, and I mean, nowadays I probably take advantage of it and, and, and take it for granted and just, you know, chow down meals now because I'm in such a hurry. But when I, when I got out, life was slow for me, you know, I mean, I didn't have a job. I, I was just trying to kind of understand, you know, hey, I'm getting I'm trying to, you know, grab the, this bull by the horns that like, you know what, I'm I'm back in society. I'm going to take it slow. I'm enjoying my family time because I always say at the end of the day, when you ask me about my 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 regimen and my discipline before. Right. I went to prison and then my rich my 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 discipline when I was in prison and then the discipline I have now, the the reason why I'm doing it, the reason never changed. Right. But before I went to prison, the reason why I stayed disciplined was for my family to 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 make sure that I'm not just successful for my immediate family that I'm going to have one day in my life, but also for the family that are rooting for me. You know, I want to make them proud. I want I want to uh, make sure that that they're financially comfortable with the goals that I reach so that my family was my motivation me in prison, me being strong and having to get through that situation and finding the strength and utter up the, the perseverance to get through that situation was for, was, was for my family, you know, for their, their well-being and them not being stressed in that situation. And then also when I got out in the goals that I have right now to get back on the field and, you know, of course, um, create a successful business um, with what I'm doing right now is for my family. It's for me. It's my for my immediate family. It's for my wife now. I've I've introduced one more person now into my family, and so my motivation, my reasoning has never changed on why I need to be disciplined and why I need to go be successful. Um, so yeah, that was the that was the reason. That's that's great. It, I think there's a lesson there. It's you know to find that reason and then don't waver from it, right? Figure out right. what's going to get you out of bed and, and firing on all cylinders every day. Um, 
Well, so I guess with that in mind, and I mean, you touched on it. Um, I'm really curious, you know, what, what you are focused on now, you know, given that you do have this beautiful landscape in front of you and you have all the opportunities and you've now been able to put this all behind you um, from the outside. And, and as now a, a, a direct customer, you know, I know about the one aspect with your business. Um, and I'm curious even how you decided to get into that. And, you know, I think a lot of people have now seen that video on your Instagram of you chucking that ax and hit, nailing, nailing the bullseye. So I'm curious if that was just like, is it something you've practiced, something you were good at, something you've been doing your, you know, your whole life, like was ax throwing or like target practice a thing. So I'm curious, like where that business came from and what, what the goal is with it. Um, I know obviously you have your foundation as, as, as I briefly mentioned before school, football, your family, you know, do you, do you have, um, a very specific, um, goal or direction, or is it kind of all encompassing with having a business and going to school and playing football and family and all that stuff, which I imagine it is. But again, just curious when you wake up now, what's your focus? What's your main focus? What's your goal with those things? Yeah. So, um, kind of just touch on what my, where my life is right now. So, um, ever since I got exonerated in November, right, this past November, um, I immediately applied to the University of Texas, and um, it's a crazy small story, though, is that right when I got exonerated, I knew that there was nothing going to hold me back from getting into the university or applying to the University of Texas, that I would actually get a fair chance to get my application looked at instead of, you know, just having, instead of applying during this whole process of me waiting to get exonerated, they could just deny me solely on the fact if my grades were there and my essay were there, they can deny me solely on the fact that they just don't know where my fate's going to be. Right. Right. So they're just not going to take a chance. So I I wanted to wait until I was exonerated to go and fight to get into the university of Texas. And that, and that's what happened. So the very next week, Gabriel and I were living in New York at the time. She was, she took a very, very um, great opportunity of a lifetime to go and uh, train um, at this place called the Broadway dance center where she, received a full full ride scholarship to go and do a semester there. So we, um, we were living up in New York at the time. And as we were waiting for my exoneration, the documentary crew would actually come up every Wednesday and, and film me waiting for my exoneration to get that footage. And so they didn't waver uh, when I told them that I was going up to New York for a few months. Um, and then so when I got exonerated, we immediately like was like, hey, we got to go back to Texas because... I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to try to fight to get into UT. That's my dream school. That's where I want to go and get a kinesiology degree. And so, um, I'm, I'm there right now. I got accepted into the university of Texas. I had to fight for an appeal, um, which is, I, I, I missed the the application deadline. So I, I had to appeal that. I got that granted to apply for this spring semester. And then two weeks later, my application got approved and I was admitted into the university of Texas. And so there's a, a very exciting video of that on my Instagram, um, uh, which has controversy because people thought that I was driving a car while I was checking that. So uh, people were like, why are you driving? And I was like, so I was like, no, I wasn't driving. I was stuck in traffic. Um, but hey, I mean, I'm a longhorn, so it's all good. So um, I, uh, I, I, I then, you know, I'm at UT. I'm ha- I had a really, really good spring semester. Um, I got good grades. And uh, I, try, I tried out for the football team in February. 
Um, this was before COVID happened. So um, a month later in March, I received a, a, an answer saying, you know, they're just not taking on any walk-ons uh, for the spring because uh, they had some some commits coming from high school and, and they just don't have any spots. But in the fall, they might, they, a lot of spots will open up and um, you're most likely probably going to get a call for the fall to come in as a walk-on. So I'm still waiting on a decision on that. We don't really know, playing it by ear. Um, and now that we're into the, you know, into the, the summer, um, I wanted to, I wanted to do something while COVID happened and this pandemic's going, you know, happening. I wanted to do something that could make a, a long lasting effect on me. And I've always wanted to be a business owner. I wanted to be my own boss. Um, and at the time I had financial needs to make ends meet. Um, so I was like, you know what, I might as well start this ax throwing business, you know? And so how that came about, that love came about for that business was actually in January, this past January, before even the idea of running this a business was even a, uh, in play. I was, I was actually, we got, Gabriel and I got married January 19th. And the week before that, my groomsmen took me to Dallas for a bachelor's party. And we rented out like an Airbnb and we had a great time. Went to a couple bars and just had a really chill bachelor's party. But we went axe throwing too um, at this axe throwing place. I've never thrown an axe in my life. I've played darts. I've done cornhole. And I've always been a very competitive person at anything. I mean, if you're my, comp- if you're my opponent, you're going to lose. And that's kind of like how, how I was in axe throwing too. So like I had to figure it out. And so um, I, I first, you know, first axe I threw, I hit it right on the head, didn't even stick. And then I, I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. So I started just, you know, surveying all the, the areas of how far I need to be and, and how am I released and how I'm supposed to hold the handle and, and my stance. And, and so uh, around like throw five, I hit a bullseye and I was like, Oh, I got it now. I found my hot spot. So, and then I throw another one and I throw a clutch and then I throw, you know, a three pointer. And then I end up just winning game after game after game. And, and then there's like another video of me doing double hand throws and hitting a bullseye. So it was just like, and then within a day I got it. And I was like, man, that's awesome, man. I, uh, this is, this is something I could probably do for the rest of my life. Cause I love it so much. So, um, I, we went home and, and a few weeks later I ended up, um, I wanted to go to home Depot. I wanted to start a project right when the pandemic hit. You know, we were on lockdown and we couldn't do anything. So I went to Home Depot. They were open. So I went to Home Depot and I got a bunch of lumber and I made myself an, my own freestanding axe board. And now when to get into the skill of woodworking, it's kind of crazy because talk about, you know, creating beauty out of a really crappy situation. When I was in prison, that factory job I was talking about, I was actually a woodworker slash injection molder in the plastics factory. So I made signs. I made different signs for different companies that had contracts with that specific industry that I was working for. And I learned woodworking. I learned how to weld and I learned how to run an injection molding machine. So I learned all those trades and all those skills. And I remember my boss once telling me, you know, he said, you know, Greg, just kind of learn everything you can while you're in this factory because you're going to get out and probably use this as an income one day as a job. I was like, no, not really. I was like, I, I love fitness. So I'll be a personal trainer, and and uh, that's where I want to be. I'm not going to really learn anything here. I'm just trying to get through it. That's kind of the, where I was at, right? I was just trying to survive. But you know, as crazy as it sounds, this is actually providing a financial income for me, and and uh, these skills that I learned in prison not supposed to be there. So 
um, that's crazy in itself. And so I started this up off of one message. Somebody messaged me while I was posting, throwing on my new axe board I built. They said, hey, I love it. Can you make me one? I said, sure, I can make you one. Just cover material costs and I got you. And so I made one. And then they posted about it, and I got a bunch more messages saying, hey, I want one for my backyard. I want one for my ranch. I want one for my land. I was like, okay, I'm going to start making a profit off this now, I guess, because I'm putting a lot of time in. So I, uh, I I started making them, and next thing you know, I was like, holy crap, I made a couple thousand dollars. I might as well start this as a business. It's hot. So um, started it, and now we're, we're, uh, we're doing cornhole, custom cornhole sets, uh, so, uh, and also custom axe boards for residential houses. That's next for me. Now, yeah. now, now I'm intrigued. You know, so I play drums and I'm always, you know, kind of like target practice. The drumstick's got to hit the center of the head. Yeah. I, I, and I've always loved archery. Now I got to get into axe throwing and see if I can I, hit the center. You know, it's like that crazy. same kind of motion, that flick, right? Yeah. After one stick, man, you're in. You're yeah. like, dude, you're in, dude. You're, you, yeah, you're, you're, you want to go and continue to do it. Well, I'll, we'll talk about that soon. We'll definitely talk about that soon. Once the yeah. once the cornhole set comes, that'll be the next thing. I just got to convince my wife to give me the thumbs up on it. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. I quickly want to ask, and I know we're getting pretty close. We're, we're a little, uh, you know, we're a little maybe over the time. Do you just want to make sure? Are you are you okay to stay a little bit longer? Exactly. Yeah, I got a couple. I got maybe like five or ten more minutes. Okay, sure. perfect. That's perfect. Um, I want to ask um, a, a couple connections to uh, to a few things here. Um, I also want to say real quick that I've gone twice to a place called Urban Axe, and yeah, it's it's addicting. Um, I also there's a couple connections I want to make and, and just get your take on. Um, yeah. Aubrey Marcus of On It, he's got like target knife practice, yeah, yeah, knife throwing and and like stars and axes and the whole nine, and he does some crazy stuff back there. And and his setup, I've thought about multiple times of trying to kind of do that that rock path with the with the target uh, back here. So if you do start shipping those, I think. We'll have to pick one up uh, and, and get that going. I'm curious if, if you've ever uh, had any interactions with him and been able to go practice with him or uh, do anything, kind of maybe even just uh, talk about that that side of the world. And the other connection, with your faith, Jesus as a carpenter. I'm, I'm curious if, if yeah. that's anything that kind of, you know, in your head starts going, man, the wheels are turning. Like, there's this guy, you know, he was a yeah. carpenter. It's pretty amazing, right? You know, and look at me. Look at my life where it's where it's, the direction yeah. it's going, which is, uh, I think, a pretty amazing connection. You know, that somebody said that before. They're like, hey, man, you're like a Jesus guy, right? Like, you, you believe in Jesus and all that. And um, I said, yeah, I do. And he's like, so, like, you know, he was a carpenter, too. And you're kind of kind of a carpenter because you like doing woodwork. And I was like, that's that's a pretty cool connection. I mean, I'll take it, though. But, uh, um, yeah, and then Aubrey, with Aubrey, I've I've never met Aubrey. I've, I've uh, you know, being out on it, I learned a whole lot about him and, and uh you know i know he he's a pretty profound dude and he's he's wise in a lot of areas and um so yeah you know i never got to meet him um i know i've watched his instagram of him just like twirling a camera on a target him just throwing at it and like not hitting the camera and hitting the target and he's got the whole setup and he like so. walks away turns throws a star sticks the bullseye he can probably hit a clutch like it's something i still think that you could go out and crush him in a game no i don't know i mean i'm getting better he's probably been doing this for years i've only been doing this for you know several months but every day i, I practice so uh, on my lunch break i actually practice for like 15 20 minutes trying to learn trick shots and and i take videos of it and post it and so yeah 
That's very, yeah, that's fun, man. Well, that's, that's great. I mean, that's the goal, right? If you're going to work for yourself, do it in a business that you actually enjoy. That's each one of us does that, you know, for a living. We all, um, to, to a degree work for ourselves and we do the things that we love to do. That's what life's about. So it's, it's just, it's really nice to, to know that again, you know, despite the hardships, that's where you are now you get to do all these things that, you know, you're, you're kind of just running with like, Oh, here's this thing right. I fell in love with. Here's this idea. I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to go with it. And now it's turned into something. And I'm curious. Um, and it's okay to, you know, definitely it's cool to brag about it. Like to some degree, well, to a big degree, I think now you have a lot more exposure. Um, have you seen an uptick in business because of it? And, and is it almost like, the good problem to have where it's like, wow, like we always wanted to grow. Like a lot of small companies, you know, have this problem. We always wanted to grow, but wow, like we're kind of overwhelmed at the moment. Are you, are you running into any of that? Intensely? Yes. Yeah. I, uh, so with, with everything going on with my, my story kind of growing and it's actually worldwide. Um, so yeah. crazy story. Um, you know, so, the day before Showtime dropped all five episodes of Outcry, um, six weeks prior, all the way up until the premiere, uh, me and my wife every night have been watching uh, a reality love show called Love Island Australia on, um, you know what I mean, on, on Hulu. And so we, we were watching it, and we've been watching it every night before we go to bed, and we fall asleep to it. So we fall asleep to Aussies every night. And so that that night where all the episodes dropped that morning at 8 a.m when i woke up i had like over a hundred messages from australians in my inbox on my message request on instagram i'm like what is this and so i look at it and they're just nothing but love from the aussies just you know from the land down under so it's just like and and I'm like, and I, re- I reply, I'm like, hey, man, I was just actually watching you last night, you know? And I was like, dude, that's so crazy to think that, like, you know, uh, Australia is where it aired first and uh, on, on their streaming network. And, yeah, it's ever since then, I started my business about three weeks before. And I didn't do it with the intention, like, hey, my platform's about to just blow up and my business, I want to start a business. I didn't do it that intention. It just happened that way. Sure. Where it was just like, man, like, and then, I mean, I, we start, we're growing so fast where it's just so overwhelming because the demand becomes so high. I just don't, my supply is like way down here. So right. like it's, it was a one man show, which was me before the doc. Now I'm trying to have to make it like a seven man show where all these people have different responsibilities because we're just growing big time. And so, yeah, I'm backward like two months right now. And it's just like, uh, and, and so I'm having like, I just, in about three weeks, I just got a new warehouse. Um, I'm moving to a 2000 square foot warehouse here in Leander, Texas. Um, and I hired my, 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 uh, one of my older brothers, um, as a, uh, as a manager full time salary pay. So, I, I got I kind of got the opportunity. I was blessed with that opportunity to to provide that for him and and yeah. continue to grow this thing and provide you know and and build customized axe boards and cornholes for people. So it's a uh, it's growing big time and it's overwhelming. Man, it's well, Amazing. it's serendipitous um, because exactly what you said your focus has been this whole time has 
really come full circle to now you are physically like providing opportunities for at least one person in your family. You're, you're physically able to now provide support financially, you know, in, right. in other ways too, for your family. You're realizing your vision, you know, yeah. that's, that's awesome. That's what it's all about. So it's just to me, you know, it completes the, a, a beautiful story and it's only at the beginning of these new chapters. So, you know, it's, it's just watching as a, as, as an admirer, as a fan, um, as, as a supporter, as someone who hundred percent has, um, bought in to you, the, the, the messages behind what you're doing. Um, it's a beautiful thing to see, you know, and, and I hope that anybody who is going through challenges, big or small, can learn from you either directly or hopefully has the fortitude and life experience to, you know, come out the same way. That's definitely the goal. And again, as I said in the beginning, and, you know, it's, it's always, we always try to, to provide some sort of value for our listeners. Um, it's not always step by step. It's not always like, here's the action items that you should do every day. You know, they have to listen they have to figure out what they relate to. They have to apply that to their lives. I think that there's absolutely a ton of that kind of value just from this, you know, hour and change conversation. Um, and I'm excited just to see what more you can do because I would imagine this is going to be one of many conversations that you have going forward where you get to share your platform and, and, and talk about this stuff. So I think, man, it's just, just, I don't need to tell you this, but, you know, be proud because you're, you're going to have a great chance and you already do have a great chance to really help a lot of people. And that's, that's awesome on top of everything else you, you're going to be able to do. So that's why I wanted to have you on. That's why we wanted to, to have you on just to be able to express that, have you express that. And I think that was the goal for today. And I think we accomplished it. You know? Agreed. Thank you so much, Matt. That was, you know, very kind words and I appreciate that man uh, I just yeah all the listeners and audience out there just want to you know shed some light on man you know what no matter what situation you're in um, it could always be worse you know somebody could always be going through a worse situation but um, it's all about the decisions that we make it's about the, the, the end goal it's about the vision that we're striving for it's about being true to yourself and never losing who you are as a person you know, um, everything you want to be in life, you need to make it happen. You know what I mean? Uh, we got these dreams and we got these goals. And, uh, you know, the person that doesn't take that first step will never know um, if they can get there. So, um, yeah, man, thank you guys so much for having me on here. Um, really nice to talk to you guys. Um, let's do it again. If, if you guys ever want to do it again, just reach out. Be more than willing to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Please. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the very very I last think, thing. That's when it. Oh, oh sorry. Just 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 touch what you said. I love that you said uh, you have to make it happen. There's a lot of people out there that say you can do anything, and you can you know you can do it. But yeah. I think it's very important to 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 distinguish the difference between you can do something, and you have to make it happen. You can't yeah. just want to do it and it's going to happen. You have to make it happen. So I, I just. Right. I appreciate that 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 distinction in your words. 
think that's yeah. Important. We can all agree. We can all agree to a lot of things. Uh, we can all agree that The Rock is probably one of the um, most well liked people in the world. But at the same time, that dude made it happen. Right. So. Right. Yeah. So. There you go, Justin. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. Man. I just wanted to quickly express gratitude. You know, I'm I'm just super grateful that that we were able uh, in that in that brief moment in time to to just kind of. Uh, cross paths uh and and it's it's a, it's a gift to know you and uh it, it's uh, i mean it truly is a, an honor you know and a gift to, to to kind of have you on here and and i mean i'm so much better for this conversation i'm sure matt and jordan feel the same uh just i'm grateful and thank you we appreciate you you're the man thanks justin appreciate you man of course Cool. So to take this out, uh, you know, I, I obviously want to express the same sentiment, Greg. Um, I came in admittedly uh, knowing the least about you and your story. Uh, I leave this conversation uh, a fan of you personally uh, and with, with a great admiration and respect. So I look forward to, uh, you know, digging into the Showtime content. I look forward to digging into, uh, you know, your Instagram and, and seeing the, the business that you're running and the ways that you choose to continue expressing yourself in the world. Um, you, yeah, obviously you're going to have a ton of opportunity to uh, reach audiences globally as you already have been. And uh, the way that you demonstrated yourself over the past hour plus, um, you know, it lets me know that you, you don't take the opportunities lightly. And uh, yeah, you, you have wisdom to share even, even at your relatively young age. So um, uh, best of luck as you continue that journey. Um, and thank you sincerely for uh, for giving us the time today. We appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Cool. Appreciate so, y'all. Yeah. Uh, Facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. Uh, for those listening, uh, that is where you can join us. It is a private, supportive, inclusive uh, Facebook community full of creative people around the world interested in self-improvement. Uh, that's the best way to connect with uh, with us daily. Quite frankly, if you're listening to this on your podcast app, you can actually see the uh, the lovely, gorgeous faces of uh, myself, Justin, Matt, and our guest, Greg Kelly, today. YouTube.com slash chocolate croissants. Uh, that's it, guys. What a, what a unique episode for us. Um, this whole thing just had a, a different energy. Uh, but quite frankly, Greg, uh, your story, but, but you as well, are quite remarkable uh, and unique in this world. And, and again, we appreciate you for taking all of that, um, all, all of that, I mean, in, in some ways, absurdity, in some ways, uh, just, uh, it's, 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 it's quite uh, remarkable in, in, in the actual definition of that word, but, uh, you have chosen to make the most of it and, and not only for yourself and your family, but, but for others as evidenced by today. Um, so this is how we'll go out. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. Uh, I haven't hit the cowbell too much today, so I'm going to hit it one time. And then I'm going to say oh, bye-bye. <laughs>